Church, we're going to continue in our sermon series that we started uh, last week entitled Easter Peeps. And we're not talking about those fluffy pink and yellow marshmallow things. We're talking about Easter people who witnessed the resurrection in the way that it impacted their lives. John chapter 11, verse 25 through 26, it says this, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this, he said. Church, last week we focused on Mary Magdalene and, and how the resurrection affected her. And this week what we're going to do is we're going to look at the disciples. If you'll turn with me to John chapter 20, this is where the bulk of our text is going to come from today. In John chapter 20, starting in verse 19 through 24, it says this. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Church, I want to ask you guys a question or maybe to try to get you started in, in the, the direction I want to go with you on this text. You know, how many of you have ever flown? You know, you, you fly on an airplane, you've been somewhere. Well, there's two types of people you always hear about who get on airplanes. There's the one type that likes the window seat. And then there's the type that likes the aisle seat right? So I, usually we fall into one or two of those categories right there. And, and how many of you like the aisle seat? Your aisle seat people, right? And then how many like the window seat? But see, I like the aisle seat because I feel like I'm in control. Who's coming in and out of my space? But then there's the middle seat. Nobody likes the middle seat. You don't, because you, you sit there, the number one reason you don't like the middle seat, because you, you don't get an armrest, right? You got to kind of sit there like this the whole time, where everyone else is hogging the armrest on both sides of you. And maybe you've never flown before, cars are the same way, right? If you grew up in a big family and it took all three people in the back seat, nobody wanted into the middle seat, because you had to fish for the seat belt, right? You stick your fingers down there, try, and then you come up with like... Dry gummy worms and crushed up goldfish under your fingernails. Nobody liked the middle seat, no matter whether it's flying or in a car. And you realize the reason that we're like this is because when you're in the middle, you feel stuck. Don't you? When you're in the middle, you feel stuck. It's true in a seat, but it's also true in life situations. See, think about this. When you're starting something in life, you know, something's brand new. Maybe you're, you're, you're planning something. The beginning's exciting. In the ending, it's a celebration. You're pumped up. Yeah, we made it, right? A, a lot of times in our staff planning meetings, we have staff planning meetings here at the church every Tuesday, and we talk about how we're going to do things. The next event, whether it be Easter or whatever it might be, we have staff planning meetings, and, and we'll sit there, and we start getting excited, and we're writing down like crazy. Everybody's pumped up like, yeah, this sounds like a good plan. Three 
Three days later, I'm looking at that list and I'm gonna throw up because you know why? I'm like, who's gonna do all this work? Because now comes the work part, right? The, the planning can be exciting. The celebration at the end, man, that's wild. But that middle part, it stinks. For those of you, maybe you have wives at home, right? Your, your wife comes to you and she says, real sweet, why don't we redo this room? So what happens is your wife watches HGTV, all fake news, that is totally fake news. I, I'm, yeah, I get mad when we watch HGTV at our house. And then she gets on Pinterest and sees all these amazing things and she comes to you and says, why don't we do some remodeling? Well, let me tell you what, for those of you who maybe have a certain kind of wife, we means you. That's what that means. She's just trying to dress it up a little bit, but she really means, why don't you do this work for me because this is what I like. When it comes down to it, we like to change some things up. We like the beginning. We like the end, but we hate the middle. Nehemiah chapter four, if you'll look at this with me, Nehemiah chapter four is a perfect example. This in verse six, it says this. It says, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, halfway done, for the people who worked with all their heart. And then verse 10 says this. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is given out and there is so much rubble, we cannot rebuild the wall. So they started out all gung-ho. We're gonna rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, right? Pumped up. But by the end, they're feeling defeated. You look at that progression. They hit that slump in the middle. You know, it went from, this is the best idea I ever had in my life to this is hard, this is terrible. You know, I'm terrible. There's no way we're gonna finish this thing. The morale was lagging. Church, think about this. This happened to all of us, doesn't it? At one time or point in another in your life, we, we, we struggle with that. And so here's the disciples. Man, the disciples struggled this numerous times when the disciples experienced this on the Sea of Galilee that one time. In Matthew chapter 14, it talks about it in verse 24. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. They were in the middle of the sea. They were in the middle and they were struggling with it because they were far away and things were getting rough. It was in the middle. They lost hope. They lost focus. You know, they, they were going to die or drown, whatever it might be. These things were going to happen. And see, this is exactly what happens to the disciples in John chapter 20 when Jesus shows back up. When he comes back into their life, they were in the middle of it all. Think about it. They were afraid. And in John chapter 20, verse 19, it says, in the nighttime, they were locked in this room. They were in the middle of it. They were afraid. They felt stuck. They felt like they were never going to get out of the situation. The doors were locked on them. And they thought, you know what? We're next. We're next. They felt they were going to be arrested for being one of Jesus' accomplices. There's one commentator, I really enjoyed how he put it. He puts it that they were huddled together in this room. 
it was dark outside and he said imagine just picture this every single noise that they heard outside they thought this is it they're coming to get us they were petrified fearing that knock on the door but in John 20 19 I want to read it to you again it says on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together the doors were locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders Jesus came and stood among them and said peace be with you church it was dark it was scary and Jesus suddenly appears doesn't say he came through the door he appeared among them he said peace be with you he stood right among them Church, he got right in the middle of them. He was in the middle of it, and he said, peace be with you. And so I want you to think now about yourself for a moment. Think about this. Whatever it is you're going through, we all have got things in life, and we're all going through something. Whatever it is that you're in the middle of it, do you realize whenever you recognize, you gotta think about this, church, whenever we recognize that he appears, he calms us. Now, listen, you can sit there and say, well, Mark, Jesus is everywhere. Yes, he is. He's everywhere, you're right. But we don't always recognize him being everywhere. It comes to that point where suddenly you're like, oh, there he is. He was there the whole time. But you have to recognize that he is there. And when you do recognize, he appears and he calms us. I can't tell you how many times people will come to church and like, man, church was really good for me. It really calmed me down, right? <laughs> Jesus is not just here, church. He's everywhere. You have to recognize where he's at. So when Jesus showed up in the middle of what the disciples were going through, what exactly happened? That's what we're going to break it down today. Several things happened. The first thing is this. The disciples were calmed by his presence. They were calmed by his presence. You know, how they went out of that room was exactly opposite of when they came in. They came in fearful. I mean, just kind of picture them, you know, got their hoods up, they're hiding out, they're, they're laying low. They came in fearful, they were trying to hide. And, but you know what, church, they left triumphant. They left triumphant. They, they, they went out comforted. You know, remember when your kids, and maybe some of you are still dealing with this, your kids come into your room in the middle of the night, you know, like, Mommy, I'm scared. Daddy, I'm scared. Whatever it might be. You know, they, maybe they had a dream. Maybe they saw a shadow on the wall. Maybe they just don't want to go to bed. And they come in your room, and they tell you that. And so what you try to do is, is you try to calm them down. You try to comfort them, and, and you try, and you hope with everything you got that they leave quickly, kind of like, get out of here, Right? You don't want them in there. That's why you have your own room. But see, the disciples, they were calmed by Jesus' presence. I love the book of Acts because if you read the book of Acts with the right perspective, you, you will understand this. See, we see Peter in the book of Acts standing boldly. I mean, he was standing boldly for what he believed in. We see John proclaiming the word with a boldness as well, completely unafraid. There's a moment in the book of Acts where they were beaten and they were told, never preach again. Don't you be saying that stuff anymore. And, and, and they said, you know what, we can't listen to you. They told the authorities, we can't listen to you. We respect you as leaders, but we got to listen to our God first. And he's, they said this, they said, you can beat us if you want to, but we will consider it an honor 
to have been beaten for Christ's sake. See, that is a different disciple. Those are different men than what they were in the room, church. See, he goes from hiding in a corner, completely afraid, afraid of people, afraid that someone's going to recognize him. He was afraid because if you remember Peter, he denied Jesus. So imagine getting into that guy's head. Jesus said, hey, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. He's like, I'll never do that, Lord. I'd die with you. Yeah. Three times he did exactly what Jesus said. So can you imagine him huddled in the corner, number one, being afraid someone's going to recognize him for who he is, but also two, going like, what did I do? He told me I wouldn't. I promised him I wouldn't. You know what, church? But he left bold. He left that room bold. What changed was Christ's presence. The circumstances did not change. See, they they thought when Jesus died, they were saying goodbye to his presence. You got to understand that with the disciples. They thought they were saying goodbye to his presence. But you know what? But when he rose and when he ascended, he secured his presence in our lives. That's what he did. See, every Christ follower, every single one of you who know Jesus Christ personally, we have the promise of Jesus' presence all the time. He is with us all the time. That is a promise that God made you, but you've got to recognize him. That's something he gave us. Church, listen to me. He is peace. Christ is peace because in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14 it says this, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So it says right there that Christ himself is peace. He also brings peace. See, when, when, when we truly understand what peace is, then you can experience it. See, what most of us believe We believe that true peace is the absence of trouble, right? You know, things are going good in your life. You're like, man, we're all on the mountaintop right now. Things are great. I couldn't expect it to be any better. But peace is not the absence of trouble, church. Peace is not the absence of trouble. It's the presence of God. And so if Jesus is the Prince of Peace and he is present in our lives, then even in trouble, we, we can have peace. There's an elderly woman that went to this church a few years back. She, she has passed. Her name was Dorothy Foster. I told you the story before, but you're going to hear it again. She was the sweetest woman in the world. And she went through a really hard time physically towards the end of her life and they called me said she's in the hospital again it doesn't look good and so as the preacher you're on your way up and you're praying like you know god what am i gonna run into you know give me words to speak to these people whatever it might be and you never know when you go to the hospital as a preacher they tell you it's bad you do not know what you're getting into and so I'm walking in the room. I'm figuring, here's Dorothy. She can be hooked up to machines. You know, she maybe ain't even going to be conscious. I walked in her room. I went, Dorothy. She went, well, hello, preacher. She smiled at me real big. And I said, what's going on? She said, I'm just sitting here praising the Lord this morning. Church, she had peace. She had hoses coming out of her. Machines was helping her breathe. And she had true peace because of the presence of Jesus Christ in her life. She wasn't worried. So right now, 
right now, in the midst of whatever you're going through, we're all in the middle of something. Some of you got it worse than others. You know, maybe it's sickness in your life or maybe a family member's life. Maybe it's unemployment. Maybe it's hardships that you're going through. Maybe it's fears. Maybe it's worries. You're right in the middle of something. In the midst of all that, do you understand that Jesus offers you perfect peace? He offers you perfect peace. And so as we grow in our relationship, some of you are like, man, I don't ever feel that peace. You got to grow in your relationship. You grow in your relationship with, with, with Christ. Then what happens is this, you grow in your peace. As you grow in your relationship, you, you, you grow in your peace. And see, these guys, the disciples, they realized that Jesus, because he was a present there in the room with them, he brought them peace. And so in all things, church, because of sin, because of sickness, right, struggle, all of that's caused by the sin of this world, the things that we go through. But Christ says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. The second thing the disciples were calmed by was this church. They were calmed by his words. You know, he opened his mouth and he said, peace be with you. See, the circumstances didn't change at all for the disciples. Just because Jesus spoke those words did not mean the circumstances around them were going to change. Listen, they were still very much in danger. Very much in danger. Pretty much all of them, except for John, would go into some very horrific, horrible situations and die some pretty hard deaths. They would. So all their greatest fears were going to come to pass. Remember, they're hiding in this room. They didn't want nobody to get them because they didn't want them to do to them what they did to Jesus. So all their fears eventually come to pass. But when Jesus came onto the scene, they no longer had a reason to fear. They no longer had a reason to fear. He gave them words of peace. Let me define that for you a, a little bit this morning so, just so I can make sure you understand it. See, we see it from the wrong angle every single time, almost every single time. We believe that peace means the absence of struggle or the absence of conflict. That's not biblical, church. It's really not. That's not biblical. You've heard the word shalom, right? It's the idea of what Jesus was tapping into when he was telling the disciples, peace be with you, right? The idea of shalom was a wholeness, a wholeness of well-being. That's what that means, the wholeness of well-being. And this came from God giving you every good gift that you need, shalom. But you know what? This is what Jesus was saying. He was saying, to them, peace be with you, meaning that, you know what, may you guys be totally well spiritually, may you be totally well physically, may this wash completely over top of you in your lives. Church, with this, this can allow us to know that he is with us and he is also for us. That's who he is. Calmed by his words, they were, they were calmed by his words and they were calmed by his presence. Church, do you understand that God always has a plan? He really does. He always has a plan. When, when, as we anchor our hearts to his words, and if you understand that he always has a plan, I want you to realize that you can take shelter in the middle of the storm. In the middle of the storm, you can take shelter, not shelter at the end of the storm. You can take shelter in the middle of the storm. And it's not like, I'll believe him when I get through it. 
Though you believe him while you're in the middle of it. Remember his peace is with you. Remember to be calmed by his presence. To remember to be calmed by his words. And the third one is this. The disciples, they were calmed by his wounds. They were calmed by his wounds. John chapter 20, verse 20 says this. After this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. He showed them his wounds and then they were glad. They were excited about that when they showed him his wounds. See, it went to a different level at that point, at that moment. So why would his wounds comfort these guys? Why would his wounds comfort them? Because, it, number one, it helped him believe that he was who he says he was. See, because Jesus was in his resurrected body. He was in his resurrected body. And so there's a change right there. Church, when we die... When you and I, when we die, our bodies will stay here on this earth. You know, they'll stay in a grave. But at the return of Jesus Christ, at the return of him, at the end of the age, those bodies will be resurrected. That's what happened. Our bodies will be resurrected. And, 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 and maybe this morning you're saying, well, what will we live in in between time? I don't know. I seriously don't, the Bible doesn't say, maybe God gives you a loner. I'm not sure how that works. But the fact is this, the Bible tells us we will be resurrected, right? And Jesus came here in his resurrected body. In Luke chapter 24, this is pretty cool, Luke chapter 24, verse 39, he says, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself, touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see, I have. And then later on, if you continue reading that, he's saying, hey, you still don't believe me? Give me something to eat. Ghosts don't eat, right? So he's kind of like showing them, giving an example. Can a ghost do this? Can a ghost do that, right? He's kind of showing them what he's doing. And then he says, look at my wounds. Look at my wounds. See, he was proving to them. Church, some of our greatest fears about death is the end. That it's the end. That, that it, it, it's over. When we lose someone, we have that fear of like, we'll never see them again. That is a great fear of all of ours, right? When life is over, we worry about who we're gonna see. And he is saying here, Jesus is saying, look, I came through. I came through to the other side. I, I, I came through that. Your disciples, you, know, you disciples, you guys, you will also come through to the other side. In church, anybody who is in Christ Jesus, you also will come through to the other side. Just as Jesus is, Jesus is still himself. He's still himself. Just as you, right? You and I, you will be yourself in a resurrected body. So that comfort, it gave them great comfort, the disciples, when they saw that in him. But see, it was more than that. They were comforted by his wounds, but it was so much more than that. See, the last time they saw those wounds, think about this. The last time they saw those wounds, it was horrific for them. They, they watched all these wounds happen. It was the worst thing that had ever happened to these disciples in their entire life. You and I, we cannot properly understand what Jesus meant to these disciples. And you say, oh, yes, I do. No, you really don't. They were with him. I mean, they walked with him. They talked with him. They, they, they did life with him. So we can't fully understand 
Because there's nothing in our culture that can even come close. See, not only was he the Messiah, not only was Jesus Christ the Messiah, but he was also the one who was going to save the nation of Israel. Now, those people thought this. You know what? He's going to get rid of the Romans. He's going to boot them out of here. We are now going to have our kingdom back. We got our king. He's right here. And we're going to rule right. Because God told us he was going to bless the nation of Israel. So the disciples, they had it in their mind like, oh, here's the king right here. He's getting rid of the Romans. And guess what? We're going to be his cabinet. Right? They were setting up, we are going to be in the cabinet of that government. And so when Jesus was killed, all their dreams for their future were wiped out in a second. When Pilate washed his hands of the whole situation, everything that they had hoped for, church, everything that they had witnessed and believed in vanished like that. It was gone. And those wounds that Jesus presented to them and showed them that he was who he says he was, he was saying, check it out. This means it's not over. It's not over yet. He was calming them, church, with what we see as the worst thing possible. For us, you know what this represents? You think of the worst thing possible that could possibly be going on in your life. And Jesus is basically saying, hey, God's got a plan. He's going to reconcile that on the other end. He's going to take care of it. He's going to redeem it. He's going to restore it. Not even death will hold that plan back, is what Jesus was telling them. Church, you realize that the resurrection and the promise of eternal life, do you understand what that tells us? That Jesus will not only make up for it, he's going to restore it. He's going to make it right. See, when you take, what you take is God not having control. And we all go through that. Be honest with yourself. There's times you're like, God, why aren't you taking care of this? He is. Just not the way you want him to. He's in control of all things. But this is the way that he's going to accomplish it. He was showing him the wounds saying, listen, you thought it was out of control. I'm showing you it was in control. These wounds represent that I knew what I was doing. That this was going to happen the way I said it was going to happen. C.S. Lewis said this, heaven, when we finally make it there, it'll work backwards. It will take all the heartache, all the sickness, all the despair that you ever felt in your life. And it will cause something glorious to appear. And it will make up for all that stuff. You know, you ladies, you experienced childbirth. Us guys, we got the easy job. We're just going, push, right? That's what we do. But you ladies, you experienced childbirth. I mean, some of you had it rough. And so you're going through all these labor pains and, and everything, and, and, and the baby finally appears. The doctor cleans him up, puts him in your arms, and you look at that, that precious baby, and you're sitting there just in awe of what God can do. And you sit there, and you're like, man, it was worth it. Now when they're 16, you're like, it wasn't worth it. <laughs> you say that, I promise you, I didn't say it yet, you will. But when you look at that baby, it, it, it was worth it, right? And see, God causes something glorious to appear. That he will make up for all that stuff, church, that you've been through.
Moses. You realize Moses, Moses was present at the transfiguration. We always focus on Jesus and what happened to him. Moses was right there, the Bible tells us. And think about it this way. Moses, appearing at the transfiguration, he stepped foot for the very first time in his life. He got to step foot on the promised land. Think about that because if you remember, Moses was denied access to the promised land. His own fault. He did it to himself. He was denied access to the promised land because of the sin of what God told him not to do, right? He, he sinned against God. And so Jesus brought Moses into it. That blows my mind when I think about it. All the stuff he went through on the other side got taken, taken care of. He got to step foot there. So church, whatever you have in your, your heart, Whatever it is you're feeling like, this is never going to happen because of this, maybe because of that. I want you to know that God always has the last word. He really does. God is the one who decides how is it going to go. And for the disciples, you know what Jesus was saying? You know what? Even after these wounds, even after the grave, I'm restoring all things. I'm going to make all things right and they were calmed by his wounds, church. He was reminding the disciples as he showed them his wounds, saying, I am in control. Jesus, he was reminding them that Jesus' focus, his focus is always on what he has done, not what we can do for him. Too many times we think that way. He focuses on what he's done for you, not necessarily what you can do for him. You know, he didn't come in that room and said, hey, let me hear your memory verse. No, he didn't do that, did he? No, he didn't come in. Look, look at Peter. Peter, you keeping the Ten Commandments? You liar. You're a liar, Peter. You said you didn't know me. You're not keeping them. You know, he, he showed his hands and he's saying, look, this is what I did for you. I did it all for you. And the fourth thing and the last thing is this. They were calmed by his mission, church. He gave them a mission. He said, as the Father sent me, now I am sending you. I'm sending you. They were now part of a new kingdom. They were new people, church. And, and, and he was saying, you know, we as believers, for you and I too, his disciples were sent, but guess what? You and I were also sent. You are sent. We come and we gather and we take that peace and that calmness that God gives us, and we go out and do, do what he's called us to do. Verse 21, it says, again, Jesus said, peace be with you as the Father sent me, I am sending you. But then church, if we also look at Romans chapter 10, verse 14, he says this, how then, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Church, you have been sent. You've been sent. If we don't go, church, they're not going to know. If you don't do what you've been commanded to do. See, he showed up and he gathered. He shared peace and he sent them out and he gave them peace. But, and, but the disciples were also church. They were come by his spirit. The Bible says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Do you understand the very same spirit that he breathed on them is available to you and I? It's available to us. That very same spirit, it is available for us to receive so we can have the power to be sent.
to see situations differently, to understand sickness differently. See, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the very same power is given to his followers to do life. I have two last verses I want to share with you. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says this. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Because of God's breath, church, you and I are alive. He breathed life into each and every one of us. We are alive, but also, church, he also, church, breathes life into us with his spirit. So this morning, as I ask the praise team to come up here, I want you to understand something. He breathes the spirit into us so we can do things that you cannot do by yourself. Think about that. So you can do the things that he has called you to, so he can, you can do the things that he sent you to do, things that you can't even possibly do by yourself. The Holy Spirit gives us that. John chapter 19, verse 18. John chapter 19, verse 18 says this. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Church, do you realize this? We are right with God. You and I can be right with him because Jesus was crucified right in the middle. He was right in the middle of it all. He was right in the middle of the crucifixion. He was right in the middle with the disciples as he appeared to them in that room. He's right in the middle of it all. Today, church, he is still right in the middle of it. Whatever you got going on, you're in the middle of it. He's right there with you. And he is telling you, peace. Listen to me, church. Peace be with you. He's wanting you to have peace. He's wanting you to have comfort. He's wanting you to, to experience that peace. The world will tell you it's the peace that passes all understanding. Like, what is wrong with you? Your world is falling apart, but yet you're still calm. It's because you're like, because God is still in control. He still has a plan. But that only comes from recognizing church, by recognizing Jesus as the resurrected Savior. We all have moments, right? Today we're celebrating Palm Sunday where they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. They were excited, they were thrilled. And we have those moments, right, where we're shouting Hosanna, like, God, you are so good. God, thank you for doing this in my life. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for fixing that. We shout from the rooftops, right, when God is doing something good. But listen to me, where, what are you shouting as you're in the middle? Are you being silent? Are you sitting there like, God, why are you abandoning me? God, why have you forgotten about me? God, where are you? I want you to know, church, he is right in the middle of it with you. So this morning I ask you this, do you have that peace? Seriously, do you have that peace that you're going through something and you're like, God's got this. I don't like it, but he's got it. 
do you have that peace of knowing who he is maybe this morning i want to ask you this do you have that peace of knowing who he is but also the fact that you know where you're going there's nothing worse as a preacher to sit with a family when somebody passes away and they're going like i don't know i don't know where he is there's nothing worse as a preacher to, to go to a hospital and sit with somebody on their deathbed and, and they're sitting there like, do you know Jesus Christ? No. Would you want to accept him today? I had a guy tell me one time, he said, nah, I'm good. I'll deal with him when I get there. I'm like, no, you don't understand. You're not going to deal with him. You'll be dealt with. Maybe this morning you're sitting here, you do not have that peace of knowing where you're gonna go. And so I wanna offer that to you this morning. You can have that peace, church, with having a right relationship with Jesus Christ, admitting that you are a sinner, confessing those sins to him. And listen, turning your life around. You don't confess your sins and ask God to forgive you and then head, just keep walking in the same direction you were before. You turn around and you go the other way and live the life that he's called you to. This morning, if that is for you, it's hitting you hard. You come forward. Man, we will pray. There will be people up here. The others will they'll pray with you and show you what you got to do. And for the rest of you believers in Jesus Christ, do you have that peace? I'm talking about the world is falling apart around you. Chaos is abounding in your family. You are right in the middle of nuts. I mean, nutsville in your life. Do you have that peace? Because if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you now have to recognize that he is there with you and he'll give that to you. So how about it, church? Let's stand together and sing. But I want to encourage you to respond this morning.